When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, I'm Jason Gotts, and this is Think Again, a Big Think production. This episode of Think Again is brought to you by Big Think Edge. Edge is education for companies, because companies, like people, need to learn to grow. Edge applies big ideas from the world's top experts to the challenges of career, entrepreneurship, and professional life, and it can be customized for the learning needs of businesses of any size. Since 2008, Big Think has been gathering and publishing smart ideas in the form of short video interviews with some of the world's most interesting thinkers and doers. On the Think Again podcast, my producers surprise our guests and me with totally unexpected clips from these archives. The conversation could go anywhere. This week, I'm joined by my sometime co-host, Eric Sanders, and by none other than physicist Brian Greene. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing well, thank you. So that voice belongs to Brian Greene, a renowned physicist known for his work on string theory and for popular books and TV series such as The Elegant Universe that explain complex physics concepts to uh, somewhat ignorant people like us uh, who know hey. nothing about math or science. Hey there. Sorry, Jason. Um, Brian's also the director of the unbelievable World Science Festival, which I go to every year right here in New York City. And we would advertise the fact that it's happening next week, except that by the time you're hearing this podcast, it won't be next week. Yeah. But you should definitely go next summer. Yes, exactly. So here's how this works, Brian. Um, Each week, Big Things producers unearth a gem from our interview archives. We have no idea who the expert is or on what subject they will be speaking. We listen, and then we respond extemporaneously. We don't take notes or anything. Sounds like fun. What do you got for us today, Jonathan? This week's clip is from economist Daniel Altman, and he's talking about the student loan crisis in America. I'm sure you guys will have plenty to talk about with this one. Some of the casualties of the recent economic downturn have been students and former students who are carrying huge burdens of loans from their education. Well, if we were to forgive some of these loans or have a government program that would help to bail students out, then you could argue that anybody should take out loans because they needn't worry that if they weren't able to pay that they would somehow be bankrupt, that somebody would always come to scoop them up and help them to pay. So how do you deal with this possibility, a sort of black swan, that nobody thought something like this could ever happen? Well, one way is to link how students raise money for their education to the income that they'll actually earn. So instead of lending a student money, you actually would buy shares in that student's future income. You become an equity investor rather than a debt investor in that student. You don't want to constrain a student too much in his or her education, but if a student enters college saying, I'm going to become a corporate lawyer, and then decides to become a poet, well, the value of the shares might drop somewhat because their expected income might be a little bit lower. So just like you buy bundles of mortgages, which are put together by government-sponsored enterprises like Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, Sally Mae even for students, you would be able to buy bundles of students who have certain credit ratings certain tiers, just like those mortgages did that got us into a little bit of trouble a few years ago. Okay, 
So if I'm understanding correctly this idea from economist Daniel Altman, it may be the most terrifying idea I've ever heard. Brian's like uh, thinking about this one. No, I'm not really. I'm just, I'm just feeling a little ill. Yeah. Well, we mm -hmm. haven't. <laughs> so yeah. I think Brian and I are maybe on the yeah. same page. Let me play devil's advocate for a second. If college is rising in cost, is there any market-based instrument, as they like to call it, that could actually be a win-win? Is there any possibility in either of your minds, I guess, that you know a Kickstarter for college type situation, maybe, maybe it's better to have a, a community rallying behind you and funding your education than the federal government? That makes me want to move to Denmark, but I'm curious what <laughs> Brian thinks. Yeah, well, I think there are, other, <laughs> there are other ways that would come to mind first. For instance, you know, there has been this movement in the area of digital education, which received an enormous amount of unwarranted hype MOOCs, early on. Right? Yeah, I mean, MOOCs is the name that, that comes to mind. But, you know, the problem that I have with MOOCs is the M, right? It's all about massive as opposed to about quality. Yeah. You know, so, you know, we sort of jumped into a parallel game, you know, with the World Science Festival. We have something called World Science U, which is all about, you know, much less but high, high quality digital education, which at the moment is free, right? right? right. So, so I think there are more novel ways of changing the educational system than bringing in these ideas from you know, the marketplace that all of a sudden turns students into horses in a horse race and you're trying to determine what to bet on. I think the whole notion of going to college ideally is a place where you allow young minds to explore and try out new things yeah. and sort of see where their heart, their passion goes and the idea that there'd be this whole collection of individuals on the sidelines <laughs> betting on them and say, please don't go in that direction. You know, please, you know, I just, yes. and they're, you and know. And they're like checking their little device and being like, oh, my stats yeah, are that's down right. today because exactly. I was thinking of yeah. taking that Wittgenstein class. Yeah, stop reading Proust. Come on. Know. Well, Brian, you know, I'm not going to ask for your financial statements. I'm guessing you make a, a decent I'll living. I'll provide them. <laughs> yeah. you know. uh, but we won't be able to see them because it's a podcast. Well, that's but, the point. You know, you, you've made a great career for yourself as a scientist. Yeah. Did you, when did you know that this was a, a viable career path? I mean, were you ever interested in something else? And was there a you moment? Know, when I was little, I wanted to be a, a professional bowler. Okay. Uh, but <laughs> the, the earning potential of careers never drove me right. at all. Right. You know, one way or another, it just wasn't a consideration. It was, it was all idealistic. No, it was just I loved the ideas of science and math, and that's what kept me going in those, those arenas. Yeah. And, you know, there are many very good science students who don't go on in science, they head off to hedge funds. And I mean, more power to them. It's great. That's ultimately where they felt like their center needed to be focused. And that's fine. But for me personally, it was always about, uh, look, I think, I could be wrong, but I think you go around once. I think you die, you die. <laughs> yeah. You know, unfortunately, I think that's how it is. And, you know, when you're on your deathbed and you look back, to me, the question is, are you going to look back and be really thrilled that you made you know, millions of dollars and had all sorts of toys. Well, maybe, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, that's great. Or will you think back on the sort of the wonderful ideas that you got to play with and discuss and investigate and maybe push our understanding of reality one step forward? And between those two, for me, it's the latter that yeah. gets me excited. It's why I want to get up in the morning. I mean, first of all, we'll end up with a lot of hedge fund managers, <laughs> right? Because anyone who might want to be an artist, I mean, they're the ones that need 
especially need funding right. in general, and they're not going to get a lot. Right. And how are the, the people betting on these young people going to determine who is the most promising artist on the basis of what? It's saying it the same, same thing, just a slightly different way. What is the value to the world of a student's education? Yeah. Is it the earning potential that that student has by virtue of right. their education, or is it what they contribute to the world? And I think it's got, at least for me, it's got to be the latter. And you don't measure that in dollars and cents. You know, Einstein, let's just take Einstein right. for a second, right? Um, I don't think there is much money to be made off of special and general relativity. But <laughs> right. good God, it has made the world a better place. It has made it a, a richer, deeper, more exciting place because we understand things so much more fully. And that wouldn't have been a good bet in this scheme. So then the question is, if college is astronomically expensive and you know people can't afford it, then what do you do? And so, yeah, online education is certainly one piece of it. And I think a hybrid situation of some kind is going to be better ultimately, where kids can actually meet each other. I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it is we have to recognize the following simple basic fact that the goal of, say, online education is not to replicate as best we can what happens in the classroom. It's a new technology. It's a new approach. So you have new opportunities. I mean, I'll give you an example. When I teach quantum mechanics and I teach relativity, I would love to have spectacular visuals and animations for my class. But I tell you, for a class of 30, 40 kids, it's very hard to justify the amount of effort and expense that would go into creating right. those things. But if you have an audience of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, then all of a sudden it makes sense to put the resources in, create this wonderful environment of visuals and interactive that the students can learn the subject so much more deeply. And I am a better teacher in that environment because of it than I am in the classroom. It's not a poor reflection. It's not mimicking the classroom. It's doing something different, something which I consider to be more effective. Your office hours must be very long. <laughs> 24 <laughs> hours a day. <laughs> well, in fact, one of the things that we did in this, we had these virtual office hours where, you know, I sit there and answer questions because a good teacher can, they can predict 90 to 95% of the questions their student's gonna ask. And I answer them in an environment that looks like I'm talking to you, the student, as if you picked the question out of a menu-driven visual FAQ. And it's an effective way of creating a situation where a kid in India or China or in London or anywhere in the world can kind of feel like they've asked me a question or any faculty member who takes this approach. So yes, I think there are ways yeah. to create an experience that's, that's rich and much less expensive for the student. You just cut out like nine-tenths of the professor jobs in America. Yeah. Does that concern you at all? Well, I, don't, I wouldn't frame it that way. What it actually is, it allows other faculty members to leverage their ability to teach both this course and other courses. Now we can enlarge the range of offerings. And indeed, yes, we can begin to slim down in ways that would not affect quality but might increase efficiency and, in fact, raise quality. And which might lower costs for students. In the long term, yes. I guess that one of the things that gets us in trouble is when we try to find sort of singular one-stop solutions to massive problems. You know, that, as you say, the future always tends to look like a hybrid of things rather than 
let's create a stock market for students kind of solution. Oh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, human engagements, human interactions, human choices, it's all so much more complex than any economic model can possibly capture that trying to reduce it to that kind of structure I just consider kind of naive. Yeah. yeah, and on the one hand, it may be a bit of a sort of Jonathan Swift modest proposal right. kind of devil's advocacy thing, but we see it happening in practice as well in public schools. We see the privatization of education all over the place with sort of business-based models for setting students against one another competing. And I don't like to think of the future students having to operate in a climate of fear and competition in that way at that age when, as Brian said, they should be reaching out, asking questions, trying new things. Daddy, how much can I make as a, <laughs> as a quantum physicist? <laughs> I want to be a string theorist. <laughs> no, maybe in the 11th dimension. Um, is it time for the, the quote? Yeah, so Brian Green, thank you so much for being with us and playing our yes, crazy podcast game. Thank you. Would you do us the honors of pushing the button on the random quote generator and generating and sharing with our audience the quote of the week? I would be happy to. Here we go. Are you ready? Clicked. So the quote is, it's curtains for you, Mighty Mouse. This gun is so futuristic that even I don't know how it works. <laughs> and who's that from? That's from Ralph Bakshi's Mighty Mouse. Not surprisingly, the oracular quote generator has identified Brian Greene as someone who knows about the future. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks so much. My pleasure. So that was another episode of Think Again this time with the amazing Brian Green. Yes. And let us know what you thought. Let us know how it went. You can find us on Twitter at BigThinkAgain or on the web at www.bigthink.com forward slash thinkagain. See you next week.